electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the still strong consumer and what today's surging retail report means for the rally, the Fed, and those hopes of a soft landing. We'll debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today... Bryn Talkington, Jason Snipe, Rob Seachin, and Joe Terranova. Let's go to the wall, show you what stocks are doing here just past 12 noon in the East. Carl said it. We're uh, obviously off the lows. NASDAQ's gone positive, 380. The yield on the 10-year got that really strong retail report today. And, Rob, it just begs the question, will the consumer ever roll over? Uh, that t- depends on the jobs market. Right now, the jobs market looks, looks pretty great. Mm-hmm. So... Um, but there's no denying <clears throat> that there's a reacceleration upon us in the data. And, you know, that puts the Fed in a, in a pretty weird situation. And will this stronger growth lead to higher inflation? Can we have an environment where the economy is growing as strong as it's growing and the Fed actually gets inflation back to their target? And I think that's, that's really tough to see. And I think bond markets right now are waking up to that fact. There's no, no question about that. Well, why is the stock market? Is the yeah. stock market waking up to that well, fact, or is it, certainly is it ignoring yet. it? Certainly not yet. Completely, completely uh-huh. ignoring it. I think, you know, th- there's going to be some pivotal times ahead. Um, you know, we've seen this rally off the lows in a lot of the high beta names. That's, that's what's led, these high P names. Mm-hmm. Um, quality names have, have lagged. I think as you you stretch that rubber band further and further, uh, the possibility of something breaking um, becomes, uh, you know, more dangerous. And there's no doubt, Scott, that there's growing risks out there. You know, the yield curve is inverting. It's it's widening. It's inverted. It's already widened a little bit. Interest rates are rising. Inflation's stubborn. And margins, this is important, margins are stressed. One final point that I'd make. Markets have risen on pricing out recession risks. They were very high coming into the year. Mm-hmm. They're lower now. And well, because maybe, maybe, Joe, the market's not ignoring anything. It's embracing the idea of a soft or, dare I say, no landing. And as long as the consumer remains strong, you need that to get to what I just suggested maybe we're trying to wrap our hands around, arms around. So maybe no one's positioned for this. How about that? How about at the beginning of the year, no one came on this network, myself included, and said, you need to go out and buy the high beta, non-profitable, consumer discretionary and technology names, because those Humbly are the names did, early in the year that are going to outperform. Okay? What you need to do is you need to find quality. You want to buy quality. You want to buy balance sheets. Okay. Quality's working out okay, but it's not working out to the degree that some of these other names are. I read all the 13F filings yesterday. Everyone's got the same view. Everyone's trying to focus on the strength of a balance sheet and what's looming ahead 
from the lagging impact mm-hmm. of monetary policy. Everyone sees the same thing. Scott, when everyone sees the same thing, the outcome never happens. And that's why the market, that's why the VIX is down again today, another 4%. That's why the VIX is sustaining below 19. That's why there's overwhelming surprise from everyone. Raise my hand, I'm part of it, that the market has I not corrected it never yet. happens, though, Joe. It never happens maybe now. What do you mean never happens? You said that's why it never happens, because everyone was positioned this way. It just means it gets delayed sometimes, because fundamentals ultimately will take that means your point. Never, but that means it's never happening right now. That's why the markets, yeah. everyone's looking at the market right now and saying, why is the market still here? What, with, with Treasury yields blowing out, how could the market be here? The market's up 13% for the Nasdaq. We haven't had a correction yet. Doesn't well, I don't make know. any maybe, sense. Maybe Not for logical. two reasons. Because they don't think, the market doesn't think the Fed's going to go as far as they say. It's positioning. And Sorry. the consumer is stronger than people thought it would be at this point. Yeah, of course, positioning's part of it. You had the tax loss selling yep. stuff. You had a bit of a reversion here. But discretionary, Jason, is the best sector of the year. It's up 17.5%. Travel names, Carnival, up almost 50%. Some of the casino names, like your MGM, up 31%. The travelers of the world, the travel stocks, the Marriott's, 21%. Chipotle, 19 Some retail, like Tapestry, 19 Amazon, 18 Ralph Lauren, 16 Ulta has ownership on the desk, 12 What's the story here? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's a lot of what, what Rob and Joe already shared. I mean, I think the tax selling people being offsides earlier this year. And, and Scott, even what you said at the top, you know, this idea of potentially no landing, soft landing, recessionary fears, uh, softening. I think that has, has been a catalyst for a lot of the growth engines and growth oriented stocks in, in the market. And I think, you know, they, they were deeply oversold last year. You know, the Nasdaq was down 34 percent. Obviously, it's, it's been the leader this year. I think it, there's a seesaw effect here uh, that, that's playing out in the market. Um, And also, I mean, this kind of good news, bad news narrative last year, you know, bad news is good news. This year, maybe good news is good news. I mean, the labor market is extremely strong. We saw the labor numbers last week. We saw retail numbers today that were very strong. The consumer is spending and um, and is confident because there's there's jobs out there that are available. If they leave this job or get laid off, there'll be another one that they could find. So I think that's what's playing out in the markets so far. And we'll see how the next couple quarters play out. Bryn, I mean, Joe, you know, throws out this idea of positioning, and I think it is well represented in the investment committee. If discretionary is so good, if the consumer is so strong, why doesn't anybody own a lot of discretionary and consumer names? Because when I look at the ownership list for all of you, you have next to none. It's, it's Tesla. You've got, you know, a Home Depot and Lowe's. But I do not see a group of people here in front of me today or who come on uh, on other days who are overweight the space, who are leaning in to the consumer because I think everybody missed it. And I think that everybody thought the consumer was going to roll by now. And it has not. Right. It has not. And I think as you is and and Rob hit on it earlier, labor equals the consumer. They're one and the same. And when you have jolts, which is the job openings around still one point eight job openings for every one person that wants one. That is the consumer. And then you also have wage growth, which is still around 4% year over year, which is still the highest we've seen besides a few months ago since the 70s. And so the consumer, the employees in the driver's seat. 
And so I think until that changes, which, which, which by the way, many times before a recession hits is unemployment at all time lows. But you have to be open to the idea that this time is different because we're just dealing with un, in unchartered waters. And, and that's really how I've felt all the past years. Like as the Fed is tightening, tightening, as QT is happening, what will be the impact? And what's happening right now is the market is saying the Fed is gonna be data dependent, People were offsides to, to, to Joe's point and positioning and sentiment are in the driver's seat. I mean, I think it's kind of incredible that the 10 years at 3.8, the two years at 4.65 and climbing and high beta names are just like long hair, don't care. We are, we are gonna keep going higher. And so I think that is really befuddling a lot of investors, but I do think ultimately fundamentals will matter but you just, you just have this rotation. I, I agree with Joe, people were caught off sides and very under positioned for what was happening. On top of a mass amount of short covering, this, this is what you have. I yeah. sat with you yesterday on closing bell overtime. Mm -hmm. I told you Airbnb was gonna go higher. I didn't buy it. Doesn't align with my thesis. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid to own Airbnb. Look at Roblox today. Roblox is going higher. I could see Roblox is going higher. Am I gonna buy it? No, terrified to buy a company like Roblox at this, at this point. But that's basically indicative of the environment that we're in right now. And a lot of these stocks have further to go to the upside. You want to call it a trade? Call it a trade. That's fine. But that's you, the reality of where we are. You said yesterday that you like Marriott better I do. than Airbnb. Marriott got downgraded today on valuation. Mm -hmm. Jason Snipe, though, buys more Marriott. Yesterday, ahead of the earnings, right? I did. I did. And, and for me, and, I, and I, I agree with Joe here, I mean, Airbnb, you know, if, you, if I'm looking at my thesis coming into this year, these high profitable, hyper growth stocks um, aren't going to be the ones that lead. And obviously, you know, the, the, a lot of these names have done really well. I mean, Airbnb is trading at 50 times. But when I looked at Marriott, Marriott's trading at 23 times earnings. It's up over 20 percent year to date. Revpar growth is above pre-pandemic levels, you know, and I, and I saw our earnings recovery coming into this year. Uh, Marriott's been a core holding of ours, but we decided to add some, you know, some additional uh, position here. I mean, really because of what we see with earnings going forward, but also, you know, travel, travel is in vogue. I mean, the retail travel, the leisure travel is happening, but also group travel and, and some corporate travel, I think, is starting to come back online. And that's why we thought it was appropriate to add to our position in Marriott. Look at these gains again, just to reiterate the strength in that part of discretionary. The cruise lines ripping. Carnival, as I said, up 50%. 50% this year. Expedia, Win, MGM, Booking, Marriott, all among the best gainers in, in the space. Bryn on Airbnb. You're looking at it now, aren't you? Huh. Right, well, so I think that the mistake, so, so last year, all high beta, all tech just went down because you had this macro environment of the Fed and you just couldn't get out of that way. And so the, the, the trend was, the trade was, just be underweight or don't own those names. So they all went down about the same. But now you're getting the wheat from the chaff. And I, and I don't agree with you just can't own high beta names. I think you have to look at the individual companies. I own Roblox, I own Tesla. And so there will be discrete companies that actually do well. Airbnb is something that we all use all the time. And, and I'm very much in the camp of, if you're using this all the time, I appreciate the Peter Lynch style of investing. It's worth taking a look. And it has an E. 
They turned a profit. This is not an unprofitable company, and I think they have great management. So I don't own it, but I think that investors need to to, to look at these individual companies mm -hmm. and not broad mm -hmm. brush all of them to say, I'm not going to own all of them. You want to look through and take the opportunity because there will be huge winners in these high growth names, but you need to discern between maybe a Roblox and a Peloton or an Airbnb from a Snap. They're not all going to trade the same in 2023. And I think that is what investors should be taking away right now and parsing through to say if there are some good names they could pick up that are still well, well below, you know, where they were even in, in, in 2020. I love the point that Bryn makes, Rob, because in 2022, 2020 to whatever, you could own everything in that space. Why? Because of zero rates. Mm -hmm. It goes back to the old Tepper thing after 08. Fed's going to get involved. What's going to go up? Everything's going to go up. Mm -hmm. Everything did go up. Zero rates, all those stocks, no, you know, non-profitable ones, highly shorted <clears throat> ones, they all went yep. up. Doesn't mean they you can't own any of them now, does it? Bryn makes a good point, doesn't she? She does. I think she does. But what I would say is ultimately it depends on your market view, right? So if your market view is we're a little extended, which is what our market view is, but you, you want to be invested. How do you invest? And I'll use consumer discretionary as an example. I look at the sector, average operating margins for the sector are 8%. And then I look at our holdings. They're 18%. The profitability is double that of the sector. But what's worked is the higher margin stuff. Why has it worked? Because real rates have come down. Because the bond market was discounting something that it shouldn't have been discounting. It was discounting the fact that they thought the Fed was going to pivot. In fact, they thought in 24, there was going to be a 50 basis point cut. That's down to 20 right now. And the equity market has completely ignored that. So how do we stay invested? Well, we stay invested with quality companies that their margins are protecting you at the high end of the range on you the S&P. You, you think Airbnb is a quote unquote quality company? I, it's about price, too. And I don't we, we don't we don't own Airbnb. I don't follow My Airbnb. My point is that don't you have to be as granular as that? rather than broad it's a stock like as, it's as, a stock pickers market said. it's a stock pickers market in every category but that group of stocks was viewed as not a stock pickers market it was viewed as you either own them or you don't exactly well now now there's a separation of kind of the the, the men from the boys or the ladies from the girls it does matter who is performing what leadership teams are making the tough decisions to drive value that's being rewarded but, but, right but, now. But Bryn is bringing up a, an excellent point, and, and you have to evolve. Sometimes you have to change with the market, and, and I'm recognizing that myself right now. I'm sitting out participating in what's going on in the market. There are names that I think you can own. There are names that I'm looking at. I'm looking at Qualtrics. Ticker symbol is XM. I'm looking at Twilio once again. Remember that name? I'm looking at Twilio once again. I'm looking at Zoom Video once again, those, those names. Are, those are, that's a renter's market, though, but, to me, Joe. You're renting. You're going to be there until you're not, right? Okay. The reality is that might be the case, but that's going to allow me to participate in the current environment while I wait for what we all think is inev inevitably going to happen because of the lag effect of monetary policy. You know what else has I, happened I, I'm to on these the stocks? We're all on the train to California. I know, but we you, know it's going to crash, Scott. 
It, it depends on when you want to hop up. It didn't it, already? It, it hit a bump. I mean, listen, given you what's happened. You don't think those stocks crashed? They, they did. There's many stocks that crashed. I'm talking brought, stocks that were down okay, like 80%. But the tech companies still traded 26 and a half times, the NASDAQ. 26 and a half times. One of the largest premiums that they've traded to the market in a long time. I'm just saying I'm not ready for all of them. Own a lot of them. Own Microsoft. You guys know I own Meta. I mean, I, these are specific. Okay. Meta is a great point because it underscores the changing nature of some of these companies, management teams, and thus stocks. Mm-hmm. Ones that are finding religion on costs, right? A new it's a new regime for, for these kinds of names. Why? You don't think the meta has gone up in any relation to them cutting costs? Or 100%. Some of these other stocks that was or our thesis. Or Airbnb, Airbnb talking about becoming more efficient? Not all of them are in that basket. Agreed with that. Agreed with that. That's why meta was one of our year-end picks for this show, a stock summit pick because we thought they were incorporating discipline. It also happened to be priced reasonably cheap and positioning was wildly off sides in that name. No one wanted to own it, so we did. I agree. So there were more positive calls today on Walmart and Target. Both reiterated, outperformed. Jason Snipe, you own both, don't you? I do, I do, and I, and I think for both of them, you know, we, we, we talked about inventory last week, and I think that, that remains a story coming into 2023. I think it remains a story in a lot of industries, semis as an example. Um, but as it relates to, to Target and Walmart, you know, Target had an issue uh, with managing inventory going, you know, last year, and I think coming into this year, that would be less of a story also as well with Walmart. The other story I think that plays well for, for Walmart is trade down. You know, consumers are definitely price conscious. You know, we talk about the labor market being hot, you know, being very tight, and and consumers have ample opportunities to work uh, these days. But they're still conscious of the future, and I think Walmart uh, plays into that narrative very well because there there is a trade-down opportunity there, and then they're looking for value. There's also some margin growth on, on their grocery business. I think they're starting to take share from other retailers. So I like both of these names. Walmart has underperformed this year, uh, traded better last year, but but obviously Target has done very well so far this year, and, I, and i.e., you're seeing some of the, the upgrades in, the, in, in that name in particular. The other ones, Joe, oh, by the way, housing stocks. Yeah. have done really well this year, despite all of the headwinds around housing. Pulte's up 25%, Toll 19, KB 16. You have D.R. Horton in the Joe T. That's why I've said the stock market sometimes is not the economy, and these home builders have been doing well for the better part of the last three to six months, while the housing market is in mm-hmm. this transactional recession, if you would. Um, it comes down to the management of the bottom line. And I think ultimately we, we've got this clash that's about to happen within the market that's going to allow us to answer the ultimate question that we're all trying to determine if the consumer, if corporations are going to stay resilient. The, this year has been about multiple expansion. Mm-hmm. That's really the reality of what this is. So the clash ultimately becomes our earnings, which are contracting right now, our earnings going to be able to bounce to justify the multiple that's being applied to the overall market. Or, or, or even just if not deteriorate not, or to the degree that something well, they are. the multiple collapses. And, they did and that's the clash. They did something very interesting in the home builders, though. The inventory control was remarkable, and the demand for housing 
is also remarkable. You have 88 million millennials entering their peak earnings and saving years, and they're starting household formations, incredibly powerful. It's why Blackstone's out there buying up every house they can find, because it's going to become a renter's market in housing, you know? So, so Bryn, I feel like, and we'll make this the last part of, of this particular conversation, to Joe's earlier point about positioning, this may be the, the greatest offsides that people have been to start a year that I can certainly remember because the trades that are working, not many expected. And the ones that 2022's playbook isn't working, right? Conventional wisdom said, well, it's going to be a little rough, so stick, stick with what's worked. Defensive plays, um, energy, for example. The question is, it's going to be wild if a lot of the positioning comes over to what's starting the, the year off strong. That's going to be a real interesting issue for the market to contend with and for investors who are not positioned for it to deal with. Yeah, I mean, I think I think to taking new positions in the, a basket of high beta names at this point, I think it's a rubber band that's stretched. You could easily see for, for, for the first six months, the first the first year, these are the returns you get all year in this space because fundamentals do matter. And I want to say if you want to look at one metric that I think is a, a, a good good metric all, all around is, is free cash flow. And what's interesting, within free cash flow, you get energy names, but you also get names like Zoom. You also get PayPal. And so I think for a year where there's a lot of uncertainty, make sure you anchor on something that gives you diversity and not just bulleted into being really aggressive or really conservative. So my one metric that is that free cash flow, I think it's done really well this year as well, and it gives you that diversification of names. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've already mentioned Roblox, but we need to go deeper on that. It is surging today. Bryn owns it. It's on the backside of earnings. There's another big mover today going the other way on earnings as well. We have ownership there, too. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right. Our chart of the day uh, says it all. 
right? You look at that, you're up 25% on Roblox. Bryn, I'll just let you take it away. Uh, obviously, better than expected uh, report. What's your takeaway here? It's always interesting how the market reacts. So, I mean, up 25% today, I actually think is a little bit much. What, what investors need to understand, this is not just a gaming company, it is a platform. And what you saw in their earnings today is their daily active users were at 58 million, which was up about 19%. Dave Bazuki said they saw a reacceleration in December and January. They continue to generate really strong revenue. And so this is what I was talking about earlier. They just got thrown out, with, to the, thrown out to, into the ocean with everyone else last year, but they continue to deliver on a very sticky platform. I will say that users over 13 years old continue to grow. And if you have small kids, what do they want? They want Robux. Mm -hmm. So I think this is a great platform. And so it's a good day to see. But I think up 25% is a little bit much for the earnings report they actually delivered. So on that notion, um, it's up 57% year to date. So does any part of you say, you know what, this is ridiculous and I'm out or at least trimming some of what I have? Because if I don't, I'm irresponsible as an investor because I, I don't think this can last. No, I mean, the stock was at, the stock was here in October. And so it, this is it's, it's seen this price before. I think I own it at around 70. And I've been selling calls against it. So what I'm more prone to do is after this big move, wait a couple days, see if you get follow through or it comes back down. If I get a little follow through, I'm more inclined to sell calls about 20% out of the money because I am a long-term investor here. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I see no reason to sell it here, nor do I see a reason right today to add to the position. So I'm more inclined to sell calls in three days from now to kind of capture some premium that I know is going to be in the name. Okay, I get it. Um, another big mover I, I had mentioned in the tease, guys, was Devin. Joe, you own Devin. Uh, earnings missed. They weren't about production. I've had multiple people suggest to me today this is way overdone. That move doesn't make any sense. Are you on that list, too? I think we're talking to the same people. I got the same phone calls this morning. Everyone believes it's way overdone. Um, listen, I've been around the commodities in the energy market long enough to know way overdone can extend itself for longer than you might think. So I'm, I'm not willing to sit here and say, yes, it's uh, certainly it was purchased last summer for the quality momentum strategy in the Joti ETF. That's when it went in, has not been a good trade. The momentum is clearly lost. And I'm not gonna sit here and defend what right now doesn't look like a very good position. Okay, I'm not gonna take any action on it. Can't do that until the end of April. Because this is in the Joti and personal, right? Yes. But so you the, use one, one reflects the other. One You've been very one candid about that. One reflects the other. And you have to acknowledge that while everyone is leaning towards one side of the boat, so to speak, for energy, everyone's clearly overweight, myself included, there's been a little bit of a changing dynamic in commodities overall. It's impacting energy. And you have had this inability to reestablish any momentum. I threw out the other day the China reopening. Maybe possibly that happens. I feel like it of, needs something of like that. many of the energy stocks, Devon to me feels like one of the most crowded areas in that space over the Without last 12 question. months at least. Without question. It's one of the better names, one of the better balance sheets, one of the, the, the more diversified uh, product cr uh, com companies. Um, it's 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 owned in hedge funds. Mm -hmm. It's owned by mutual it's funds. Owned by, it's owned by Bryn, right? Bryn, what about this move today? 
Yeah, so I think we're a lot. Of, this is very, very highly owned. I think you have a huge overreaction. Um, they had a call today at you know 10 o'clock Central. And on the production, the production is really in the first quarter. They have like, they're ramping up new wells. They had some infrastructure downtime and then their production's gonna pick back up. So I was a little surprised we didn't see the stock trade a little bit higher, but it comes down to if you're gonna buy these names for yield, when I look at the third quarter, it paid $1.35. With what they declared yesterday, you're gonna have a dividend, a dividend of 89 cents. And so I think that's also when people own this volatile space, they want to earn seven, eight, 9%. And so I think people had to recalibrate to say, hey, is this stock only gonna pay me five and a half, six percent for the year? And so that's why it's sold off. That being said, give it a couple days to settle off. I think this is actually gonna be a really nice entry point to a, to a company that continues to execute. And by the way, last year was the best year in the history of the company. And so I, these production issues are a first quarter issue. All right, we will take a quick break. And when we come back, Berkshire Hathaway selling a very large chunk of its stake in one big semi stock. We'll find out what the committee thinks of that move, what it means for the broader chip space, if anything. And during February, we are celebrating black heritage through the stories of some of our CNBC teammates, contributors and leaders in business. Here's Lo Tony, Plexico Capital founding managing partner. When I think about Black History Month, the name that really comes to mind for me is Reginald Lewis. He was so inspirational in my career and getting me excited to go out and conquer the world of finance. And the work that we're doing here at Flexo Capital, I hope will also empower others, or at least inspire others, to go create generational wealth. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, we're back on the Halftime Report. Berkshire Hathaway slashing its stake in Taiwan Semi in the fourth quarter. So... We look at this, Jason Snipe, who has considerable ownership here in the, in the space, and we say, okay, you purchased a $4 billion stake in November. You slashed 86% of it in the fourth quarter. Now, it's always very difficult to read into 13Fs because you don't know the context on anything and what really is current as of this very moment. But I look at something like that, and I say, what's the message here? Is it a broader call on, on chips? Is it a, is it a macro call? that they, they think it's going to deteriorate. What are your thoughts as an investor in some of these spaces, in this space? Yeah, and, and to your point, Scott, I mean, who knows exactly when that happens, you know, in, in the quarter. And I think early on, early on in the A block, we talked about this. You know, I mean, a lot of us were, were offsides as it relates to kind of cyclicalities, areas of the, of, the, of the market, and also growth areas of the market. So our ownership is, is in Qualcomm and obviously NVIDIA, you know, as it relates to NVIDIA, for, for us, I mean, 
that, that they've got caught up in the, in the AI trade. I mean, the stock's up 55%. It's an expensive stock trading at close to 70 times. Um, but from an innovation perspective and just where they sit, I think they're just further ahead. And they, they are well positioned to take advantage of what's happening in artificial intelligence. On Qualcomm's end, you know, I, I think there, there's been an inventory issue for a lot of the sector. And I mentioned this earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but Qualcomm, there's been some softness on, on the handset business. You know, there was a slight miss on revenue, beat on the EPS, but Qualcomm's up 20% year-to-date and trades at 12 times. So, and they're diversifying revenue here. So I, I still like semis, you know, as it, it relates to the growth trade and tech in general. I just think that there, there's still opportunity in that space, and I actually like it more than large-cap tech. Rob, does this, I mean, stock's down 6.5%. That's, that's TSM. But does this make you sort of think twice? We own a lot in the space, and I mm-hmm. wouldn't be surprised um, to see many of these names give up some of their gains for a bit. I think if you own anything within semis, you want to focus on capital light businesses. Uh, and we own the equipment manufacturers there. You know, these heavy, uh, heavy CapEx and commoditized parts of that ecosystem are, are dangerous. And, uh, you know, companies that don't need to spend a lot of money and are much less commoditized mm-hmm. are the better places to be. Listen, I think they're attractive names. I mean, you look at what happened Monday with Cadence Design, uh, CDNS. I mean, they, they just, uh, they, they did phenomenal. Um, and that's an expensive stock. So to your point on, on selecting the right companies, it's about execution. It's not just about valuation. In a space like this, that's working. I know you've owned Cadence for a long time, too. Had Cadence since inception, I mm-hmm. think, back to Warren Buffett for, for one moment. Um, there, there's something odd about it. It's, it's very uncharacteristic. That's not his style of investing to quickly take a position in November and then exit the majority of the position subsequent to that. So everyone could kind of speculate on, on what it ultimately might be. Maybe it's U.S.-China relations. I'm not sure. But the point is, I don't think it's indicative of the semi-industry. I've said quite often, I believe the semi-industry was first into this valuation contraction, Mm -hmm. and it's the first out, and I think you could be selective there in owning particular names. Okay. Uh, Up next, we're going to do our call of the day because noted bank analyst Mike Mayo has a big one on Goldman Sachs just ahead of its investor day. Later this month, we do have ownership on the committee, so we're going to debate Goldman and the big banks. We'll talk about this call next. All right, let's talk about our call of the day. It comes from Mike Mayo today of Wells Fargo Securities. It's about Goldman Sachs. I'm going to read you what he says, okay? He hasn't downgraded it, hasn't done anything like that. He says, Goldman has good long-term prospects with strong book value growth and share gains. Yet, the February 28th Investor Day may be a sell-the-news event, depending on how well it addresses questions about strategy, returns, and management. We had the scoop today. Hugh Sun did our own. Uh, that they're going to scrap their idea for that direct-to-consumer credit card uh, after a shift in their own strategy. So, Bryn, you go first on Goldman, right? When Mayo speaks, people listen. So what about this idea? February 28th, the day to watch. Could be a sell-the-news event, he says. What do you think? I think that's, um, you know, great for investors for us to know that's happening. I think with Goldman, you know, the IPO market... And really, M&A has been in hibernation the past year. They dominate that space. So I think that's a positive lever, as that will, of course, come back. Trading is about 55% of their revenues. They dominate that as well. And so I think that the question I have is that 
if they hired all these employees, I think they hired like 25% of their employees were software engineers. Was that for the consumer credit card? So they have to talk about that and right size that. And so I think if they give us a mea culpa, here's what we're doing, Going, going forward, here's where we made the mistake. I think there's catalyst for this company going forward because I do think it's best in breed with an asset management, with M&A and IPO, as well as in, as well as in trading. Okay. Uh, also, Jason Snipe, you on Goldman. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Bryn hits it spot on here, you know, in terms of, you know, th this announcement, I think it's positive. I mean, the retail business is an expensive business, obviously, um, to try to break into and, and them starting to pivot away, I think, makes a lot of sense. I mean, listen, if I look at the first quarter of this year, I mean, IB revenue was down 48 percent. Asset management fees were down 27 percent. The stock is still up 8 percent year to date and it trades at one times book. I think they really need to focus on the underwriting business. That will come back at some time. It was completely obsolete in 22. So I think there, there's some upside ahead. Okay. Joe, what do we think about this? I mean, it's provocative. You know, Mayo's a provocative guy. Um, but to suggest that the 28th could be a sell-the-news event for a stock that's, what, up, up 8% year-to-date, what do we think? I don't know if it's a sell-the-news event because I think this is what you want Goldman Sachs to do. You want them to go back to what their identity was. And Bryn highlighted how phenomenal they were as a trading entity. When I think of Goldman Sachs, I think of Goldman Sachs, and I think about their ability to trade markets and mm -hmm. to generate revenue doing that. So I think that to a certain extent, they lost their identity. It's one of the reasons why um, I'm invested for capital markets towards Morgan Stanley. I think Morgan Stanley knows exactly who they are right now, and the wealth management business is certainly thriving. The acquisitions that they've made with Eaton Vance and E-Trade have been additive to the bottom line. But I, I don't see that as a sell-the-news event. I actually think you could buy Goldman Sachs if they're actually going to message to the investment community that they're returning to who they actually are, because no one's better at what they do. Um, you know what? Let's, guys, let's throw up shares of Apple, because um, there are some really interesting headlines that are, are breaking uh, from the Wall Street Journal that uh, I just want to call your attention to as we pay attention to that stock. The Wall Street Journal is reporting, according to sources, that the Justice Department has, in their words, ramped up work on a potential Apple antitrust complaint, that, the, that Justice is examining whether Apple has favored its own products, they're focusing on the mobile operating system, and they're studying whether a top antitrust official can work on an Apple probe. All of that, according to sources, from a report by the Wall Street Journal, but it really goes to the heart of that controversy about third-party apps uh, in the App Store uh, for Apple. Joe, you know, when you see a headline that, like that, now it's not dramatically impacting the, uh, the stock, and, and we're continuing to chase that story, too. We may hear from somebody momentarily re regarding this report from the Journal, but what's it make you think? Well, I'm just looking at it. It did drop down towards the low, and then, you know, the buyers surfaced once again, and I think there's a a strong overall tone surrounding Apple today, knowing that you know Berkshire Hathaway continues to have ownership. It's one of its largest uh, positions overall. Rob, you own Apple, don't you? We do. We're underweight at relative to the index, though. We were we were worried about price. I think this uh, this highlights if you if you have an issue, uh, you know, you you could really recalibrate uh, to a to a more reasonable multiple. 
Um, so it's something to watch. Have, obviously, news is breaking. We'll have a, an opinion on it soon. Yeah, but, um, but it, it is an interesting headline. So let's do this. We'll, we'll take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, Mike Santoli is going to join us with his midday word. And, of course, we're going to grade your trade still. Email us, askhalftime at CNBC.com. You can tweet us. Use the hashtag GradeMyTrade. We'll be right back. Enough. Uh, yeah, we got to keep an eye on it. To some level, it's going to be a threat. But Treasury volatility, as I was saying last night, uh, has come in so much that it has you know, prevented the equity market from really having a panic moment uh, about yields and what the uh, Fed policy is, which even if we're adding hikes, it's at a quarter point clip and it's months out uh, from here. You want to just comment quickly, too, on this idea that we discussed at the very top of our show about positioning and the lack thereof? for what's led us thus far and sort of what that means to not only where we are, but where we might go? Well, I definitely think uh, people are positioned less bearishly, less defensively than they were, you know, six weeks ago. But it's only just kind of coming up toward neutral. If you look at all the aggregate positioning indicators that I watch, it's it's like, okay, fine, we're not leaning against the market anymore. But people are generally not as far in as you would expect if they really had confidence for further upside. So I don't know if you want to lean on that. I mean, the, the, the uh, B of A fund manager survey still has elevated cash levels, but off the highs. To me, that's the lesson. It's not the only thing you want to lean on. Now cash yields 5%. Maybe there's less of a hurry to rush out of it and put it into stocks again. Uh, but, you know, that, that yield on safe assets also creates a buffer and a cushion against riskier stuff like stocks. So I think that's why it's not just a zero-sum game between the asset class. Uh, good stuff. I'll see you in a few hours. That's Mike Santoli at the New York Stock Exchange. Grade My Trade is up next. Send an email. There's still time. Ask halftime at CNBC.com. Tweet us if you'd rather do that. We will be right back. All right, let's do Grade My Trade. Brent, I'm coming to you first from Bonnie in New York City. Please grade, grade this low beta stock I purchased in October of 2022. It's Technip FMC. All right, so Bonnie bought it for nine dollars and forty-five cents, uh, and more shares added at twelve ninety-five. Six billion dollar market cap. What does she do here? It's up huge over the last year. It's a double. Yeah, yeah. So for investors who don't know, this is a company that's actually based in Houston that do oil services and equipment. They actually focus on subsea, so under underwater oil 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 service equipment. It's highly technical. They have 8.8 billion in backlogs right now for, I think of which seven is in that subsea and 90% of their revenues are overseas. And so the company's just done incredible from a stock price. It's even up around 15% year to date. So I definitely give you an A plus on that trade, finding a small company that continues to execute in the energy space. Okay, Jason Snipe, you're up next. Ben in Weston, Vermont says, I bought Palo Alto 148 around Thanksgiving. Should I stick with it for 2023 or should I take the loss and move on? I'm down about 15 percent. So I think I think he's up, you know, because at 148, the, the stock is trading at 174. So he's done really well here. Uh, this is absolutely an A plus. There's momentum in billings. Uh, there's momentum in EPS growth and revenue growth here. So I really like this stock. I think, unfortunately, the cybersecurity uh, theme and space can is still very prevalent in, in, in our world. So I think, I think holding on to this stock here is going to be a good call for the rest of the year for All sure. All right. Seach Martin in Ireland says, I bought Pfizer in March of 2022 for 47.62, a defensive trade. What should I do? Sell? Hold? 
I think you should. I think he should Nothing. hold it. I think he should hold it. We own it, as you probably know. I think COVID sales erosion weighs on the stock. Um, you know, the healthcare sector is not doing particularly well, but uh, Pfizer is still a great company. 25% return on invested capital, 36% free cash flow margins. You know, it's a value company. It trades at 11 times, and, you know, it's got a 3.8% dividend yield. It's down 15% year-to-date, so it's certainly, uh, certainly painful, but I'd recommend holding it. All right. La- lastly, Joe, to you. Um, from Joe in Michigan. This, this is Joe T. from Port Huron, Michigan. I think we already had it. Didn't Joe T. ask you something already? I think there was a Different. Joe T. for a Joe T. Uh, many Joe T's. Many Joe T's. But do they run the Joe T.? <laughs> they don't. Only one does. All right. Joe T. from Port Huron, Michigan, asks you to greatest trade. I got stopped out of Lily at 362. What do I do? Jump in? Jump back in? No, no. I don't. I don't want Lily. If you looked at last week's earnings report, it was a little disappointing. Their key diabetes drug, the revenue that was generated there, fell short. But if you look on a valuation basis, the stock trades at 41 times. Why not turn towards Merck, which trades at 17 times and has a much stronger dividend yield, about two percent, relative to Lily, which is below two percent. So I would rather, if Joe's going to make a purchase, go at Merck. Okay. You can keep the trades coming in, too. Send an email, askhalftime at cnbc.com, or as I said earlier, you can tweet us if that's your preference, and we will continue to have the committee grade your trades. We'll do final trades next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime podcast now. All right, we got an earnings palooza in overtime today at 4 o'clock Eastern time. Get your pens ready. Roku, Cisco, Twilio, Shopify, Zillow, all of that will be breaking in overtime. We'll have the reports, the stock moves, everything you need to know. We've got top retail analyst Matt Boss. What a great day for that. After that blowout retail number, discretionary stocks are running. Dan Greenhouse, Keith Lerner, Victoria Green. So we're going to get after it all. 4 o'clock Eastern, I hope you join me then. Bryn, why don't you give me a final trade? Okay, I'm going to go with Devin, uh, but there's a caveat. Wait a couple days, let the sellers get done, let the analysts come out. It's got strong support at 53 to 55. The production they said on the call this morning is a first quarter. Mm-hmm. This is a wonderful company with huge free cash flow. Take advantage of the opportunity. Okay, a sell-off there, about 12% or so. Thank you for that. Jason Snipe, what do you have for us? I'm going to give you Broadcom here, 7% free cash flow yield, a little bit over 3% dividend yield, and this VMware done deal is going to get done this year. So I like it. it's going to be accretive to the balance sheet. All right. We'll keep our eyes on that. Stock basically flat today. Mr. Seachin, what Am- do you have for us? Amgen, uh, biotech firm, leading oncology, arthritis, and everybody's getting skinny, obesity franchise. Uh, healthcare, your sector for the year as well? No. No? No, ITA, defense and Oh, aerospace. defense. Hmm. Well, you like healthcare, though. We do. I knew it. All right, thank you. Uh, Joey T. Keysight Technology, they report earnings next week. Keep your eye on this company. All right, good stuff. I'll see everybody in OT. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range, 
and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.